Hey, this is Pastor Jason Deshaw at Redeemer Church in Fridley, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. My hope for you is that this message helps deepen your relationship with God and leaves you feeling encouraged. For more information about who we are, message notes, and discussion questions, visit us at RedeemerMN.org. Good morning, church. Last week, we started going through this little New Testament book called James. It's filled with so much wisdom. I invited us last week, too, and challenged us to, let's all read James together as a church. James has five chapters. This series is going to be five weeks long. So just one chapter a week, and we'll, we'll get through it. Also means that if you weren't here last week and you haven't started reading, catching up will be a breeze. Uh, last week, I talked about how James is asking us to view our trials and our problems and our suffering in a different way, to see them in a way that God can use them in our lives. Because our trials can reveal our true character. They can help us grow. They can draw us closer to Jesus. And most importantly, our trials do not have the last word. In life, we all want to be happy, but we know that hard times can shape us in a much deeper way than happiness can. Today, we're going to shift gears. Today, we're going to look at one verse from James, just one verse that talks about God's wisdom for human relationships. We all need that, right? A researcher found that when somebody loses their job, about 80% of the time, it's not because of technical incompetence. It's because of relational incompetence. And what James says in his one verse can help us eliminate that. Another researcher, James Lentz, discovered that people who are lonely or isolated actually live shorter lives. And the instruction James gives us in this one verse can help eliminate isolation and loneliness. So as I look at it, if I just put into practice James' wisdom, there's a really good chance that I will keep my job and I won't die this year. And there's a good chance you won't either. Aren't you glad you came? Also in James, this one verse is super easy to remember. As a matter of fact, when you walk out the door, you won't just know the commands that James gives. You can all do them. It won't be easy at times, but you're all capable. All right. So have I piqued your interest in what this one verse is? James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James' commands are simple. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's like one quick and two slows. Sounds like a ballroom dance step. But it's three simple steps to better relationships. So say that with me. One quick and two slows. Now, if you're not a Bible person, if you're maybe a bit skeptical, let me just ask you, have you ever known somebody who would have been better off if they would have been slower to speak and quicker to listen? Some of you are pointing to the person next to you right now. Knock that off. I greeted a dear friend this morning and thought the same thing. Let me ask all of you, though. Has anybody here ever spoken too quickly and then regretted it? Have you been in a situation where afterwards you think to yourselves, why in the world did I say that? That was insensitive or harsh or inappropriate or deceptive or gossipy or sarcastic or self-promotional or egotistical or false? Why did I flatter? Why did I lie? So let's just have a mass confession by a show of hands. Has anybody here ever spoken too quickly and later on regretted it? Yeah. 
Here's how Solomon puts it in the book of Proverbs. Those who are sure of themselves do not talk all the time. People who stay calm have real insight. After all, even a fool may be thought wise and intelligent if he stays quiet and keeps his mouth shut. (laughs) Now let's look at the reverse of the other command. Has anybody here ever listened too quickly and regretted it? Have you ever like said, I'm going to really dial in and pay attention to what this person is saying, and not just the words in their mouth, I want to understand the feeling behind it. And then later on said, why did I do that? Why was I so patient? Why was I so empathetic? Has anybody ever listened too quickly and regretted it? No. So, it's such great wisdom for human life. What we're going to do today is real simple. We're going to walk through these three commands. And then we're going to look at one word in this passage that just shows how radically subversive James' message was. And the first command is simply this. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. If you're an extrovert like me, you hate this command. I talk fast. Talking slow frustrates me. Some of you may even wonder, is James saying, John, introverts are naturally just more spiritually mature than extroverts? My assistant Diane thought so, and I told her, absolutely not. That's not what James is saying. Sometimes speaking slow can be the rude thing, the unloving thing. If someone asks you, hey, John, could you do me a favor? And I take a long pause, and I roll my eyes, and I go, yeah. You're communicating a grudging spirit by talking really slow. So it's not a legalistic command. What James is really saying is this. Allow God to manage your mouth. As Christians, God wants us to surrender all our lives to him, all of ourselves. And sometimes I think the hardest part to surrender is our mouse. And what's so staggering to me is how many people lack self-awareness around their verbal behavior. When somebody talks too much, everybody in the conversation knows they're talking too much, except the one talking too much. So this week, my encouragement to you is be aware of your conversations. Be self-aware. I want to give you a few verbal clues that will help you know if you're talking too much. If your listener's eyes have glazed over into a dull, vacant, unfocused stare, like some of you, it means you might be talking too much. If you find yourself physically restraining somebody to prevent them from walking away, you might be talking too much. If you're talking right now while I'm speaking, you might be talking too much. So this week, I want you to, when you're having a conversation, picture a stop sign, ask yourself this question. When was the last time I heard another voice in this conversation besides mine? Or you could say it this way, am I using the right proportion of airtime? Here's another great one for you. This week, practice not interrupting. Some of you are chronic, habitual, addictive interrupters. The person you're married to has not known the joy of finishing a sentence for years. The challenge for you this week will be to practice the discipline of not interrupting. That also means that while the other person is talking, you're listening and not thinking of the next thing that you're going to say. So that as soon as they take a breath, you can jump back in. Instead, actively listen to what they're saying and wait for them to come to a complete stop. When I was 21, I first began to date Lynette. Like many relationships, opposites attract. She was an introvert. I said, I am not. 
I'll never forget the first time that she came over to the Niewald house for a Sunday family dinner. There are eight of us around the table. I need you to know that in my family, I'm not the fastest talker or the most talkative. Hard to believe. So shortly after grace was said, three conversations were happening all at once. Some of my sibs were in, engaged in all three of them at the same time. And interruption in my family was not seen as rude. It was seen as a sign that you're actually engaged in the conversation. At one point, my older brother Steve recognized that Lynette had opened her mouth trying to speak a few times and wasn't able to jump in. So Steve paused, and he asked Lynette what she thought regarding the current conversation. Lynette took a breath, opened her mouth, and before she could make a sound, somebody else jumped in and filled the empty space. <laughs> when I talked to her about it later, just the dinner process, she was like, wow. If I ever come to another Newald family dinner, I will first need to take a tranquilizer to calm my nerves. <laughs> another more probing question you can ask yourself is this. Why do I talk so much? Is it because I'm anxious? Is it because I need to be the center of attention? Is it because I have to try to control other people? Is it because I want to show others how smart I am? A couple weeks ago, after playing softball with a bunch of friends, we went down to Stanley's in Northeast to grab a bite to eat. At one point in the conversation, I was in the middle of a story. I sensed one of my teammates was getting up to leave. Instead of pausing, saying goodbye, I was so concerned that my story was going to be interrupted. I didn't physically hold him there. I just kept everybody's attention on me. I wanted them to hear my humorous ending. A few minutes later, I asked if this other teammate had left, and they said, yeah, during your story. I thought to myself, what a goof. I didn't say goodbye. I kept others from saying goodbye as well, just so that I could be heard. Over-talking kills relationships. Look at how Solomon says it so clearly in Proverbs 10. In the Living Bible, don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. Be sensible and turn off the flow. Good advice. Secondly, be quick to listen. Quick to listen. It's hard for most of us because listening is actually an act of humility. It's an act of servanthood. When I listen to somebody, I'm putting aside my agenda, my chance to show people how much I know. I'm putting aside all the things that I could do to try to get my way or manage other people's impressions of me. And one of the wonderful, interesting aspects about God that we see in the Bible, is that God is a God who listens. In Isaiah, it says this. God says about his people, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isn't that amazing? God hears our every prayer. He listens to every cry. He knows the longing in every human heart. God notices every human being. Jesus, God in human form, had this amazing capacity to notice folks that other people didn't notice. There's a wonderful story in Mark 10 that's a great example of this. One day, a guy came to Jesus. He's known in the story as the rich young ruler. He had questions. He said, Jesus, what do I need to do to be perfect and have eternal life? Jesus said it wasn't about being perfect, and this guy didn't necessarily like the way Jesus was taking the conversation. But at one point in Mark 10, 21, it says this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I wonder what that moment was like. 
I wonder how many times later in that man's life did he recall that, that, that moment when Jesus looked at him and loved him. I wonder how often in conversations did Jesus just do that. He looked at them and he loved them. That's a great thing listeners do. Another thing Jesus did that great listeners do is, is Jesus asked questions. What do you want? Who do the people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? To his disciples, what were you arguing about? Why do you call me good? Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Peter, do you love me? It's interesting, the first time we hear Jesus speak in the Bible, he's 12 years old and he's asking his parents a question. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? (laughs) And the last time we hear Jesus speak, he's on a cross and he asks this haunting question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A lot of people like to think of Jesus as this Bible answer man. And yet in reality, he's the question man. If you don't mind, I'm going to ask you in a second to turn to the person next to you and guess how many questions do you think Jesus asked in the Bible? Okay, turn, ahead, turn, turn, turn and take a guess. How many questions do you think Jesus asked in the Bible? All right, you got it? Some of you are funny. Do you double count because it's in the different Gospels? Good question. Good question. Uh, Martin Copenhagen, an author, counted and wrote a book. Here's the title. Jesus is the question, and subtitled, The 307 Questions Jesus Asked and the Three He Answered. Jesus asked questions of tax collectors and prostitutes and fishermen, religious experts and Gentiles and all sorts of people. Why? Because he was more interested in them than he was in himself. That's the way life in the kingdom works. And many times Jesus would ask a question and he would not give the answer because he knew that at many times a good question can help somebody more than the right answer. Sometimes in the church, we, us people of faith, get so into making sure that we know the right answer and that our job is then to make sure that other people affirm all the right answers that we miss the opportunity to ask the right question. So this week, ask questions. I was thinking, Jason, how's your heart? What are you learning these days? How's your family? What's going on at work? I should know that I work with him. What is God saying to you? And then just listen for their answers. Another great thing listeners do is that they know that sometimes touch can communicate much better than words. Touch the people at the right way at the right moment. Sometimes just a a hand on a shoulder, a hug for somebody that you love, can speak to them in ways that words never can. Now, of course, it has to be appropriate touch. Different cultures have different rules for touching. The French and the Italians touch each other on average of 100 times per hour. In America, we touch each other on average of three times per hour. Among Scandinavian Lutherans, we prefer to retreat to separate rooms and then converse long distance. (laughs) But everybody 
will have different rules about this. Jesus was the master of touch. One day a leopard needs healing. Nobody would touch a leper. It was illegal to touch a leper. Jesus could have healed him by saying, be healed. Instead, he touches him. Little children got brought to him. Disciples tried to shoo them away. But Jesus said, let them come. And he took them and set them on his lap. Oftentimes in the Bible, blessing is communicated by what? Laying on of hands. So this week, be slow to speak, quick to listen. And then lastly, be slow to anger. James doesn't say never be angry. He says be slow to anger. Because when people are quick to become angry, they get crazy. I was just watching one day this last week, ESPN, just catching up on the day's news in sports, and they were going through all the different baseball games, and in one game, a pitcher got pulled, and he kind of flips out, he takes his ball, and he chucks it out of the park, out, of, out in the center field. They go to another game, and this pitcher is jawing with his opponents in their dugout as he's standing on the mound, and he loses it. Throws down his glove, runs off the mound, approaches their dugout, starts swinging like crazy, and starts a bench-clearing brawl. All in the same night. There was a CNN story a couple of years ago. A guy went on a date with a woman to a movie in Texas. During the whole movie, she just kept texting. Apparently the date wasn't going so well. <laughs> it ticked him off so much that when the movie was over, he asked her to reimburse him for the price of the ticket. She said, no way, so he took her to court, sued her for $17.31, and he won. So just to be clear, just so you don't misinterpret it, texting during a movie is not a crime. Just like texting during a sermon is not a crime. It's a sin. Jesus hates it. I'm just joking. By the way, aren't you glad that we don't have a problem with anger in our churches today? That people never get mad at each other over stupid things? James is pretty straightforward about this. He says in James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. How many churches have been ensconced in terrible fights because somebody was quick to become angry? Or somebody else felt like they had the right to become angry because somebody else in the church wasn't doing or saying or believing the right thing. It's pretty easy to get to this point where you think, well, I, I'm in the right here. I'm the good guy. And they're the bad guys. Folks, let me, let me remind you very clearly, we're all spiritual train wrecks. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. I mean, I was thinking, what if there was a video of every ugly thought you've ever had, every cutting word you've ever said. And I said to you, hey, come back next week. We're going to show your video on the screen. He'd be like, yikes. Let me say that again. We're all spiritual train wrecks in need of a savior. But that's why the church is a church. It's to be a place where there's redemption and restoration and healing. That's why we say around here, nobody's perfect. We all sin and fall short. Everybody's welcome, and anything is possible. God knows that anger is so insidious. That's why James says, 
handle your anger with care. And then it says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger makes a mess of stuff. Why does James qualify human anger? Because there is another kind of anger. God gets angry when there's injustice, when there's violence, when there's deceit, when children are assaulted, when people are betrayed. And he's not apathetic about those things. God doesn't say, well, you know, we live in a sinful world. That stuff will happen. But God's anger is never vengeful or raging. It's never passive aggressive. It always seeks to bring about reconciliation and restoration. Do you want to know the most radical place where we see the wonder and the mystery of God's anger? It's on the cross. On the cross, we see God's anger towards sin and God's love for sinners. We're told in 2 Corinthians, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Reconciling us to God, no longer counting our sins against us. Friends, our souls can be healed so that we can die to the stupid way we handle anger. If you're an exploder or you're a vengeful person, ask God to help you with your anger this week. If you're a powder or a withdrawer or a passive-aggressive person, ask God to help you with your anger this week. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. And then James tucks one more word in here that's really sub subversive and we wouldn't notice it in our world, but in the ancient world, it would have jumped out at them. Let me read the part of the verse one more time, see if you can pick out what the word is. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's the word everyone. People in social sciences will tell you that there's a close relationship in human society between power and words. The more power you have, the more words you tend to use. Winston Churchill was a very powerful man. He talked a lot, and he expected to be able to talk a lot. At dinner one time, his son-in-law was talking, Churchill interrupted him. The son-in-law tried to jump back into what he was saying, and Churchill's response was, don't interrupt me while I'm interrupting. <laughs> he just assumed interruption was his prerogative because he was a powerful guy. CEOs tend to talk a lot. Rich people tend to talk a lot. Men tend to interrupt women more than vice versa. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody is talking, and because of their position... There's nothing you can do. You're trapped. All you gotta do is sit there and listen while that person drones on and on until they're done. Some of you are thinking you're there right now. But this was even more true in James' world. The more important you were, the more words you were allowed to use. In ancient Roman Greece, it was, let the slave be slow to speak, let the poor be slow to speak, let the woman be slow to speak, let the peasant be slow to speak, but let the rich and powerful use a lot of words to enhance their honor and status. And so when James says, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, he's being very subversive. He's saying Jesus built this new community where everyone is treated equally. It explains a lot about part of Jesus' arrest. When Jesus is arrested and he's brought before the high priest, the chief priest and the elders, he didn't answer their questions. Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? And it says, but Jesus made no reply. Why is he doing that? 
I think he's doing that because it's what he did his whole life. He identified with those who were marginalized, with those who had no power, with the weak. Though he was rich for your sake and mine, he became poor. Though he in nature he was God, he became a slave. Though he is the word of God, he became silent <laughs> so that we could be right with God. In this new community, rich people humble themselves and listen to the poor. Men ask questions and women would answer. You have to love what James is doing here. James watched his brother Jesus suffer in silence and die so that we could all have equal access to God. And then James said, let's build this new community on mutual respect and love, recognizing that we all need a savior. So this week, ask God to help you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this message and you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give at RedeemerMN.org give. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss a single message. 